Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you all. Thank you so much for being here on this Palm Sunday 2021. It's amazing. We're already here. Um, and I hope, uh, as you've probably already been challenged this morning, as we move into Easter week, that you'd be thinking about people that you work around, live around, uh, family members, whoever, that you could invite with you next weekend uh, as we add this extra service at 1130 and make it an incredible Easter together. If you, whether you're online or you're here in person, we would love to have you be a part of that day with us, and we are so excited about that. So this week, we're going to continue this series that we have been in, and it's actually going to come to a big crescendo next weekend as we talk about the glory of God, how God showed his glory, the greatest through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I hope you'll be here to be a part of that, of kind of completing this series that we've been on literally all year so far, looking at these attributes and character qualities of God, and I hope that it has unveiled some beautiful insights into God and challenged you to take next steps into your understanding of Him and how He wants to be a part of your life every single day, and these attributes of Him want to be manifest in your life. And so it's really challenged me, and I've grown closer to God through this series, and I hope it has been for you as well. So this morning, we're going to continue. We've we've kicked off each week with this quote from A.W. Tozer that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That it's one of those things that the more you think about it, you begin to go, oh my goodness, that is very true. That what we perceive about God, what is, what, what is in our head that is true about him, it affects the quality of our life. It affects who we are, who we are to become, the quality of our relationships, all of the factors that impact your life and the impact of your life and the ultimate destiny of your life, it moves the needle more than anything else of understanding and have a lofty, majestic, beautiful, fully orbed picture of who God actually is. And that's what we're after in this series. That's why I've been challenging you, and I want to do it again this Sunday, is to ask you to give a one-word prayer, one-sentence one prayer, rather, not one word, one-sentence prayer right here before we go any further. You can say it quietly right where you are, in your mind even, but it's simply saying, God, help me to discover who you really are. Help me to understand who you really are. And you may have been a Christian for years and years since you were a young child. You're like, I, I think I got it, Will. But I'm telling you, we're talking about an infinite God, and we are finite human beings. We, we cannot conceive all of it, and there is always more of God to know. And the stuff that we do not know might be the thing that you need so desperately for this next phase of life, this next step, what's going to happen later today, what's going on right now in your life. You need this. So I challenge you, just right there where you are right now, God, help me to discover who you really are. And throughout this series, that's exactly what we've been after. Who is God really as he has revealed himself in his word, in the Bible? And we've looked at the fact that he is a father. He's a good father. He's a faithful father. He's loving. He's gracious. He's kind. He's just. He's going to judge sin. We looked at all these different attributes. And this week, we're going to zero in on the grace of God, the grace of God. 
Now let me define that for you. It's simply the undeserved forgiveness and favor of God. The undeserved forgiveness and favor of God. Now this word that we get uh, our word grace from comes from a, a Greek root, uh, from the Greek culture, and, and it actually kind of has a word picture that goes with this word grace. And the word picture is a greater or a superior that is showing favor to a lesser or an inferior within the culture. In other words, the inferior or the lesser owes the greater owes them money, owes them time, owes them something, and they are fully within their right to say, you must give it to me now. I want it. I have claim on your life. I have claim on your, your possessions, whatever, and I'm going to demand it now. But instead, the grace is, I'm going to show favor. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. And it's a beautiful picture of one giving another what they do not deserve in a good way. <laughs> giving you what you do not deserve. That's at the essence of what grace is all about. It's giving us what we do not deserve. And this is at the heart of God towards us as human beings. And you may be asking, well, why do we need grace? I'm not really clear on that, Will. Why do we need grace? So that's a great question to get started with. Now, the simple answer, and I want to unpack this a little bit this morning, the simple answer is because we have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. Everybody has a sin nature. It's a part of being a human. And here's how we know we have a sin nature. Because under the right circumstances, you would do the wrong thing, and so would I. We, we might not want to. We would even try not to, but we would. It's just part of being a human. As a matter of fact, that's part of the reason why all throughout Scripture, it is replete with these kinds of warnings and principles of saying, be careful who you surround yourself with. And even sociologists would tell you today that you are the average of your five closest friends. Isn't that interesting? You're, you're the average morally, spiritually, financially, educationally, occupationally. You, you fall somewhere in the middle of your five closest friends. And, and not only should we take a look at our friends, but we should look at what we think about. What, is, what are we marinating on in our mind? What are the thoughts? Pastor Mac talked about this a little bit last week, about think about what you think about. Take every thought captive, because our, our thoughts are so powerful. Our thoughts are the seedbed that manifests emotions, feelings, and desires in our life. And let's be honest, most of our decisions are based on how we feel. It is based on, if I don't feel good about it, I'm not going to say yes to it. And so our thoughts are so powerful. And, and just kind of the totality of our environments, as much as we are able to um, control what comes in to our ears and our eyes and our environment, it will dictate the kind of life that we live, and it will either uh, enhance our ability to resist sin, or it will open the door for more of it to happen. It's really interesting that if you're a parent, I'm sure you have seen this, you don't have to teach your kid how to throw a temper tantrum. Isn't it true? Like, even if you're a, grandchild, you're a grandparent, we don't have to teach our kids that. There's not like a class on it. You don't pull them aside and say, hey, okay, you know, there's a situation where it needs to be happening. Here's what you need to do. We don't do that. And as adults, you know, there is no, like, training or teaching on how to blame, a, um, you know, like another organization or another person for the areas of your life that you do not have together. 
But we do that all the time too, don't we? Well, part of the reason why I'm no good at this or I'm not, you know, it's, it's them, it's that, it was my upbringing, it was something else. People do this all the time. They write books about it, right? But that is just naturally in us to say, it's not my fault. I, it's not, I, I didn't do that. And we make excuses for wrong behavior, things we do better than. And people will even say, no, 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 I'm glad I did that. Now it's part of my story. Yeah, it's a horrible part of your story that you're still living with the consequences and everybody in your life that loves you is too. It's not, it wasn't good. We need to call it not good. Like, but it's a part of that sin nature that we all have. And we all have. So the, the next question is, where did that sin nature come from? The Apostle Paul in the New Testament does a beautiful job of unpacking this in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. It was a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome where he begins to explain in great detail. I want to show you just a couple of verses out of that chapter that help to pull back the veil on where does this sin nature come from. Chapter 5, verse 12 tells us this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and I put Adam in parentheses because earlier in the chapter he's saying the original sin came through Adam, and he's referring back to the one man being Adam here. He's saying that sin entered, the sin nature started in the human race because Adam sinned. It was through his original sin that it entered into the human race, but it brought with it all kinds of baggage, and here's what the, the most devastating of all the baggage, and death through sin. So with sin came death. In other words, before there was sin, there was no death. That in the garden, Adam and Eve, if they had, and we create this, this scenario where they had never sinned, they would still be alive in their physical bodies. They would have never, ever died. And this is a remarkable thing that this is what happened as a consequence of sin is that now these bodies start to break down. And somebody's probably saying, help me preach that because I'm feeling it every day when I get out of the bed. It's getting, my joints are getting, as I get older, it, it, these bodies don't live forever. They don't last forever. They don't function like they did when they, you were 20 years old. <laughs> and it starts to break down, and it's a consequence of sin. It's a part of the curse of this, the sin that has come to the earth. And he says, and death through sin, and this, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. It's like Paul saying, just in case you're willing, you're sitting over there a little judgmental on Adam saying, well, if Adam had just had his stuff together, right? If he hadn't blown it, and we would all be way better off. And he's going, no, just in case you're wondering that, if you and me were in that same circumstance, we would have done the same thing. And there's proof of it every single day of our life. Isn't it true that every day we struggle with sin? Yes. I mean, of course, we do. We're human beings. We have a sin nature. That's, it's part of being a person. And part of the sin nature makes us just naturally rebellious against God. Without his help, we are rebellious against God. And here's what I mean by that. When given the choice between doing the will of God, like what does God want, and doing what does will want, what do you want, what do we want as, as human beings, we almost always, the human impulse of the heart is to do what we want, to get our way. 
we want to do what we want to do, right? And there comes with that great consequence. With the sin of rebellion against God comes suffering and pain and death. And all you have to do is watch the news to see illustrations, examples, tragic ones, one after another after another, of people all over the world behaving really badly and choosing their will over God's will. And it ends in pain and suffering and death all the time. As a matter of fact, really, it's a, a general rule of thumb that wherever there are people, there is trouble because there is sin. It brings the trouble with it. It's part of the sin nature. I came across this great quote this week of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers back in the 1800s in, in England. He was a British preacher that was known all over the world for his brilliant insights in Scripture, and still people read his books. I had read a biography by him years ago. It was, it was amazing. But I wanted to share with you a quote that he wrote about this topic when he was teaching on it. Here's what he said. As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. It's like a person out in the middle of the Atlantic going, I don't taste the salt anymore. <laughs> I don't think it's there. Well, you're you're just not paying attention. You have lost your sense of taste. You, you don't know that. He's like, no, it is something that is there whether you realize it or not, and it's all around us. When your eyes begin to be open to it, you go, oh my gosh, yes, God, my sin, which is going to incur your wrath and your judgment, I need grace for. I need forgiveness for. And here's what Paul goes on to talk about back in Romans chapter 5, verse 15 now. He continues this conversation talking about now the gift and the trespass. And let's talk about this for a second. He says, but the gift, and this gift is the gift of God's grace through his son Jesus Christ, all right? The gift of salvation. This gift is not like the trespass, which is the sin that came through Adam. He's juxtaposing these two men, Adam and Jesus, one man that brought sin into the world, another one that came to take it away. He says, and the gift is not like the trespass, for <clears throat> if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, died spiritually, died physically, it brings death. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? In other words, yes, there is this massive, devastating impact of the trespass that came through Adam. But what is more powerful is the gift that comes through Jesus. It is more powerful because it literally can override. It can, it's more superior to. It can give you a way out of the consequence of the trespass. And here's what's so beautiful about it. It allows us now to be able to take our sin our sin and the judgment of God that must fall on evil and sin, and we can exchange it for Jesus' righteousness. Oh my gosh, this is so powerful. His righteousness, you get to be a citizen in his kingdom, and this is maybe the most staggering of all. You get his position before God. 
You get to be just like the Son of God in the family of God. You get adopted like him into the family of God. If that doesn't blow your mind, you have not thought about this clearly. You haven't thought about it deeply enough. It is something that ought to move you to the core of who you are. This is an amazing gift that we are given. God has extended to all of us. And your question ought to be, how do we lay hold of this grace? Oh my gosh, how do we live it out? How do we get a hold? How do we make it our own? Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Beautiful explanation. Here's what he says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. In other words, it's through grace. It is this undeserved, unmerited forgiveness and favor that God has extended to you through Jesus Christ. This is this gift of salvation that you receive simply on faith. It's like a little child on Christmas morning that wakes up and goes in and, oh my gosh, all these presents. And man, they go over and they didn't buy the presents. They didn't pick out the presents. They didn't even wrap the presents. But they received the presents on faith. And you see that faith manifested when they rip into them, right? Like, I can't wait. And they get it out and they play with it. They're doing all of that on faith. This is what it means to receive the grace of God. It's to take hold of it, make it your own, and and hold it tight and, and walk with it daily. And this is not from yourselves. He makes it really clear. This is the gift of God, free grace not by works, so that no one can, let's say it together, so that no, that no one can boast, no one can brag about this. He's saying this is not your personal accomplishment. This is not something that you achieved in any way, shape, or form. It is a gift. Grace plus nothing got you into the family of God. Nothing. It's a gift that you just receive. It's awesome, and this is how you begin the relationship, the life-changing, eternity-shifting relationship of becoming a child of God, a daughter of the Most High, a son of the Most High, that you get to be a citizen of God's kingdom. This is how it happens. By faith, you receive what Jesus has done on your behalf. But I want you to see today, I want to make a little shift here, that from receiving Christ and beginning the relationship to walking it every day. In other words, grace is critical for a person to get to heaven, no doubt about it. But it's also critical for getting heaven's power into our everyday life. This is where a lot of Christians miss the power, the ongoing power of walking in and living out the grace of God. God never meant for grace just to be like, okay, check, got it, got salvation, I'm good, God, I got your grace, and then you don't really ever think about it again. Grace should be something that's on your mind every single day. I have to have the grace of God to make it today. The Apostle Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, where he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And maybe you have heard the all-sufficient grace of God. This is where it comes from, that God's grace is sufficient 
for you to live in obedience to him every single day, every single hour, and every single moment to be able to do all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. He's offering it to you. It reminds me of a story I read recently about this man. He was a very poor man. <clears throat> he was given a gift, a ticket aboard an ocean liner cruise. He had never been on a cruise before, and he was so excited. But he knew he had no money for any extra expense, so he literally packed half of his suitcase full of peanut butter sandwiches because that was going to be his food on, aboard the ship. And he went on the cruise, and, and, and just it was beautiful. It was amazing. But every mealtime, as people would step up to these sumptuous buffet lines and fill their plates up, he would slump his way back to his room and would eat his peanut butter sandwiches in shame and embarrassment. And uh, it was a, a point of frustration. He was hungry much of the trip. And this went on like this, day after day after day. And at the end of the cruise, he's disembarking from the ship and one of the porters came up to him and said sir how was your journey did you enjoy the cruise and he said I love the cruise it was amazing but I was hungry much of the time because I simply couldn't afford the food and the porter looked at him in astonishment and said sir did no one tell you the food was included in the ticket you were miserable for no reason I'm so sorry I really believe that there are going to be many children of God, Christians, that get to heaven. And God is going to say, my all-sufficient grace was there for you every single day. That was there in great sums for you to be able to use to get through some of the most horrible and tragic and difficult times that you are just in absolute misery over. You were miserable for no reason. You just didn't grow in it. You didn't tap into it. You never asked for it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the apostle Peter tells us this. It's really a command, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in the grace. Let's talk about that for a minute. This is so incredibly important because many Christians do not grow in grace. They're kind of scratching their head like, I'm not sure exactly what does that mean? That we must grow in grace, understanding grace towards us and God's grace that he wants to extend to other people through us. That we're to be a grace funnel, if you will, to flow into other people's life. That for many people, we can blame it on upbringing, we can blame it on a critical self-will, that they punish themselves for making mistakes. They punish themselves. Maybe this is you. You're just relentless. And it erodes and eats away at your self-worth, your value before God, before your spouse, before your friends, before, and it just wears you down. And here's what it also does. It makes it very hard for you to extend grace to anybody else. You get very critical, very judgmental, and even jealous of other people, and it's very hard to extend it. But when you come into a family, the family of God, you, you become a citizen of God's kingdom. It's like moving to a new country. There's a new language to learn. There's a new culture that you need to learn. That this, this culture of grace is not of the world. 
The world is, is about the culture of condemnation, that if you don't live up to the standard, you will be ostracized. You will be canceled. We will shove you to the margins. We will not give you a voice. But God's saying, my grace is sufficient for all of you. And you need to learn how to forgive yourself because God says, I have forgiven you. You owe me nothing because of what my son did on your behalf. And you need to learn how to forgive other people because God's saying, I have forgiven them and you need to learn to forgive them. And for us to stand in judgment and say, no, I do not forgive me and I don't forgive them. It's for us to say, no, my judgment is above God's. God says what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for all sin, all transgression, all trespass. And you're saying, nope, not enough. It's Jesus' death, plus I'm gonna punish them, and I'm gonna punish me too. It's unneeded misery. It's unneeded suffering. God's saying, this is not the easy yoke I have called you to come and live. You gotta learn grace. It's something we've gotta grow in. We don't just flip a switch. We learn each day grace. God, help me to extend grace to me, to others. Help me to learn how to live in this. It's so powerful when we begin to live it out. The Apostle Paul shows us in this beautiful passage that we learn the most about God's grace through the struggles of life, through the difficulties of life. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, or 7, 8, and 9, actually, Paul really kind of lets down his guard and, and, and kind of exposes a struggle that's been in his life for a, quite a long time. We don't know exactly, but here's what he says. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, now get this, this is being really honest. He's going, I would have become the biggest headed, arrogant, like I am all of that and a bag of chips, like apostle, there ain't nobody like me, you know, but God gave me something to keep me humble. He knew me better than I knew myself. He says, I was given a, let's say it together, he, I was given a, a thorn, right? This is a metaphor for a struggle, a weakness, a difficulty. He's saying, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. In other words, there was a pretty long section of time. This was my number one prayer request to God. God, please take away the thorn. Please take away the thorn. Over and over and over. What did God say to him? Here's what he says. But he said to me, my, let's say it together, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what the Lord said to him about his thorn. Therefore, he says, therefore, I learned how to live differently. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, what was Paul's thorn? We don't know. Some have speculated it was an ailment that wouldn't heal. Some say that maybe it was his eyesight. We know at the end of the Galatian letter, um, he says, look with what large letters that I'm writing with you. I'm, I'm doing this last little salutation from me. And, and you can see the big letters. This is from the hand of Paul because he had probably bad eyesight. The others speculate that he had a brutal critic that followed him around and tried to discredit him everywhere he went. And there might have been multiple men that did this or women that did this to him. 
But whatever it was, he says, the grace of God has shifted the way I think about my thorn. It has shifted the way I look at my thorn. It has given me a whole new filter. Now I am brutally honest. Where I used to hide my thorn, I used to make excuses about it. I used to not want to bring it up. I didn't want anybody to know about my weakness or my struggles. I didn't want anybody. Now I kind of brag about it. <laughs> I talk about it probably too much now. I, I put it out there at the forefront because it is in my weakness, it's in my thorn that God's grace is manifested into strength. I tell people, oh, no, 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 don't you, don't you dare like compliment me in this area because I'm actually weak in this area. I'm trusting God, and he is showing up in a powerful, amazing way because he is so gracious. It is him. It's like an opportunity to give God the glory over and over. It's like he's showing us that God's all-sufficient grace can overcome any thorn, any thorn in his life or in our life, whatever that weakness, that struggle is. So here's the question I want you to think about right now. Where is the thorn in your life today? Where is that weakness? Where is that struggle? Where is it for you? Is it a person? Maybe it's a person. You can hardly be around them without feeling the mm, sting of the thorn, right? It's just hard. It is like hard work being around them. Maybe it's an ailment in your body that's just not healing and the doctors are not giving you great news and they don't really know what to tell you and don't know if it'll ever go away and it's just something you're gonna have to live with and it's just painful, it's difficult, it's a challenge. What is that? What is that thorn for you today? Here's what God is saying through Paul's words right here to us, that God is saying that his grace doesn't always remove thorns, but it does empower us to, re to overcome them. His grace may not always remove the thorn, but rest assured, he will give you the power to overcome whatever that thorn is in your life. You see, the grace of God will help you to love people you used to hate, or at least you would say, I struggle to love them, right? They hold very different views. They have a very different worldview, a very different politics than me. They do have a very different view on everything than me, God's grace can help you to love those folks. God's grace can help you to be patient when you normally would be impatient and you give up quickly and you throw in the towel on a relationship, on a person, on a project, on a something that's really hard, it's difficult. God's grace will give you power where you did not formerly have power. God's grace allows you and I to step out on faith and to trust him to do something in your life. And some of you have seen this happen, that you're able to do stuff now that you used to not be able to do because you trusted God, stepped out, and he came through for you. It was his grace, I'm telling you, that was lavished upon you, that brought about his all-sufficient grace, that brought you to a place where you say, I used to not be able to do this. I used to give up way too easy. I used to, I, I, had no, I had, didn't have the skill. I didn't have this ability. I didn't have this opportunity. I didn't have any of the things I needed to be able to do what I'm doing right now. It is God's grace that has gotten me here. But that's what it means to grow in God's grace, as Peter challenges us. Will you continue to grow in God's grace? So here's the question. Are you growing in God's grace? Are you growing where are you stepping out on faith, stretching your faith and saying, I'm doing this, God, because I feel you're leading me, but 
if you don't show up and your grace doesn't catch me and your grace doesn't provide what's needed, I'm in trouble. Where are you doing that right now? It doesn't have to be this huge, enormous, like, but it's somewhere you need to be pushing outside of your comfort zone, taking a step and following God. He's always leading us outside that comfort zone. You know why? Because inside the comfort zone, you don't need faith. It only is required when you step out and you start talking to people that you don't normally talk about and you start bringing up the subject of God, Jesus, the grace of God that you don't normally talk about. It's it creates boldness. You gotta have, you have courage. You gotta, you gotta dig down deep and find things that you didn't have to have before. But it's the grace of God that will meet you in the middle of that. And I wanna encourage you today that you would be willing to say, God, I'm willing to start stepping out. Growing in grace and knowledge of you, those go together. You don't come to know God in greater knowledge without also putting into practice the grace of God in a practical way every single day. I love this promise. When we are in a place of need, when we have a thorn in our life, we have a struggle, we have a like, place that we need to step out, God invites us to come and ask, to request his help. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, check this out. I love this promise. Let us then approach God's throne of grace his throne of grace. Isn't that beautiful that he defines the very throne that he sits on as grace with confidence? You can come with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Another way of saying our thorn, our time of need. Where is your time of need right now? God's saying there is this place. It's called the throne room of my grace and it is filled with all the supplies that you need to obey me and to see me move in your life and see me show up and do supernatural things in your life like never before, but it is only available upon request. You gotta ask for it. You have to come to my throne with confidence. Ask. It's so important that we ask. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.